Support for the Zest comes from People's Gas, delivering clean, efficient, and affordable natural gas for cooking at home with precise temperature control. More at floridasenergy.com. I learned about my history and gained so much information around my identity from sitting in kitchens Mm. and being with my great uncle Andrew on the porch shelling peas, shucking corn, you know, in the garden. That's where I learned my history. And so all of that feels like a way to like grab some joy. I'm Delia Colon and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and Southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. Picture yourself at a garden party. It's evening, food and libations are plentiful, and everyone has come with a single purpose to celebrate the healing power of food traditions. This isn't our typical Zest episode. This is a special conversation that feels like a warm hug. I promise you won't want to miss it. Thank you for eating up the latest episode of The Zest. WUSF Public Media also offers a delicious podcast focused on arts and culture in the Sunshine State. The Arts Access Florida podcast highlights arts and cultural organizations right here in Florida. Learn more about these unique institutions, how you can be a part of upcoming events, and so much more. For a culturally enriching experience, subscribe to the Arts Access Florida podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or visit artsaccessflorida.org. That's arts, A-X-I-S-F-L dot org. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Community Foundation Tampa Bay. This week, we're bringing you something a bit different. Collards After Dark is an intimate evening of food and conversation that precedes the annual Tampa Bay Collard Green Festival. At this year's event in February, I facilitated a discussion between Gabrielle E.W. Carter and Dr. LaDonna Butler about the healing power of African-American culinary traditions. We also discussed seed keeping as a form of resistance, the ritual of drinking pot liquor, and much more. Ms. Carter is a cultural preservationist and co-founder of Tall Grass Food Box. It's a community-supported agriculture model that sources produce from black farmers in her home state of North Carolina. She also hosts community meals on her family's homestead in Apex, North Carolina, and you may have seen her in the Netflix docuseries High on the Hog, How African-American Cuisine Transformed America. Dr. Butler is founder and executive director of The Well for Life, which is a St. Petersburg space dedicated to mental wellness and self-care. She's also a therapist and licensed mental health counselor. The event was recorded on the evening of February 18th, 2022, in the garden of the Carter G. Woodson African American Museum in St. Petersburg before a diverse audience. The evening began with a screening of The Seeds We Keep, which is Carter's short film about seed preservation and African American land ownership. You don't need to watch the video in order for this conversation to make sense, but it's so lush and thought-provoking and it's not even seven minutes long, so why wouldn't you? There's a link on our website, thezestpodcast.com. So now, grab a warm 
mug of pot liquor tea and settle in for this conversation that'll feed your spirit. Okay, Gabrielle, I got to start with you. Something that struck me was the idea of preserving seeds. And in other in other media you've done, I've heard you talk about um, your preservation suppers, the community meals that you host in the garden, and how some of our history is intentionally being erased. And to me, whenever someone is trying to erase something or take something away from you, it's because they see that it has value. Mm -hmm. So what is the value that you see in preserving seeds or even an occasion like tonight where we're enjoying some of these more traditional foods? Yeah. Um, so I think so that I can paint a picture that we all can maybe connect to, um, when the pandemic first hit and all the grocery stores were super sketchy <laughs> and didn't have much in them, there were a lot of shortages that were hitting people left and right. And that looked a little different for my community because we had access to food. We had access to a garden, a network of growers and people who raised their own hogs uh, people who raise their own goats and lamb and chicken. And so I think recognizing that there are all types of wealth out here um, and acknowledging that by honoring that um, and making it available to other people, that felt like an important part of um, the preservation process when the pandemic first hit us, right? So preservation looks a lot of different ways for me, but seed keeping is at the core of all of it. Um, because without the seeds, we don't have much. And um, that's something that I learned from my grandfather. Um, and like I shared in my video, that was one of my first access points into my actual identity and culture as a rural black woman from the South. It was seed keeping. It was understanding the process of harvesting seeds and how through that my family has had wealth for generations, even though on the outside looking in, we were seen as sharecroppers and farmers and um, people who lived in poverty, right? But we actually had access to business and food entrepreneurship because we knew how to grow our own food and we knew how to serve our community. And so I think that to me feels worth preserving and that's why I do what I do. I love that definition of generational wealth. Mm -hmm. Can you guys still hear me okay? Okay, okay, I brought a visual aid. So my uh, friend and news director, Mary Shedden, who I can't see because these lights are blinding, yeah, recommended this book called All That She Carried, The Journey of Ashley's Sack, A Black Family Keepsake. So this is a true account of an enslaved woman who found out that her daughter was going to be sold and she quickly had a, a short time to put some items together in a sack and then she would never see her daughter again. Mm -hmm. And it'll make you cry. But one of the items that she included in the sack was a handful of pecan seeds, mm. which to me just speaks to the value that you're talking about. And yeah. Dr. Butler, I want to get you in on this. How can carrying on these food traditions with your mental health background, how can this be therapeutic? Because when I think of food mm. being therapeutic, I think of like Ben and Jerry's after breakup. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But that's not what we're talking about here. So what's been your experience? We're talking about that too. <laughs> <laughs> I think 
when we reflect on times of joy and times of sorrow, specifically in the African tradition, all of those things are surrounding the ritual of food, food preparation, yeah. especially when someone passes or transitions to the next realm. The first thing I recall growing up is my grandmother saying, well, such and such is going to bring this such and such is going to bring that mm -hmm. and we are going to prepare this and your aunt is going to bring the ice right <laughs> and so it is this understanding of we may not have monetarily a lot but we what we do have is the opportunity to gift someone or nourish someone in the moments of crisis yeah. that is an offering from ourselves when we think about the definition of mental health, it is not absence of disease. It is the presence of our capacity to cope, our capacity to contribute, and our capacity to experience fruitful production. And so the process of food preparation and food delivery is essential to our sense of culture and sense of mental well-being. Mm. It is the way that we pass down generational knowledge and generational wealth, as you talked about. So as we narrate who we are as a people, it's important that we are keeping those seeds, that we're tossing them on fertile ground so that we remember all the beauty that resides in us so that when the normal stressors of life appear, we can go back to that ever-tended garden and get what we need and share those bits of wealth so that we can collectively be well. It is directly correlated between mm. our health and well-being, the foods that we choose to nourish ourselves, as well as... Support for the Zest podcast comes from Seitenbacher brand natural foods like muesli cereals, oils, oatmeal, energy bars, gluten-free fruit gummies for the kids, organic coffee, and more. Available in supermarkets, health food stores, or online at Seitenbacher.com. Our people with... Mm. Okay, let's talk about joy. Yeah. Because you brought oh. up the fact that these foods are celebratory. Yes. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about like my mom's mac and cheese yes. and my dad's collard greens yes. and my mom's sweet potatoes. And, and they're the best foods I've ever had. Yes. And they always will be. <laughs> but it seems like mainstream America is more comfortable with black pain hmm. than with black joy mm. or wellness. Mm. I think about like the Academy Awards and who wins the Oscars? It's like some, it's, you know, somebody who played an enslaved person. Right. It's never just a, a regular black lady with her kids or somebody who's living on a farm. So can you talk about how this idea of joy and wellness is almost like subversive? Mm. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that, Gabrielle? Mm. Because I felt joy watching you yeah. Just, just in your element. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, I feel like every day that I go out in the garden and plant something, especially when I plant new trees. So as you, you know, the highway came through our community and um, construction is happening constantly in the front yard. Um, from the gas lines that had to be moved to... Um, 
you know, all the overhead lighting and the electrical stuff. It's every week there are new contractors in our front yard and essentially in the garden. And every time I go out to plant something new, <laughs> to me that feels like an act of resistance. Mm. Especially, you know, things that have permanence. I just got a magnolia tree recently, and I've been planning where I want to put it. And, you know, people that are coming up to do different things for the house, like I'm having the house painted and really putting care and time and investing money and resources and energy into our home place. And sometimes people will come out, well, won't this house have to go because of the road? What are you, what are you doing? Why are you? And it's like, do you know how long we've been here? This is a celebration. Mm. Every day that we're here is an opportunity to celebrate. And I really look at that opportunity to plant something of permanence in the yard as a message <laughs> to anyone who's working on this project and to our state that we intend to be here. Um, we serve our community. We belong here. And I really feel like, you know, I feel that's at least one of the ways that I find joy. And it is, you know, a little sub subversive as well. You know, having the dinner parties in our yard, bringing joy, cultivating joy and, and pouring libation and, you know, lighting candles and stringing lights like all of that feels like no we're still we're still enjoying ourselves when uncle andrew comes to the house and plants you know and gets out in the yard like that to me it all feels subversive because we're still we're still here we're still doing this work mm. you know the stories continue yeah i love that thought that our joy is resistance mm. The very fact that we can claim and make claim to things that are actively being um, fettered with or people are taking actual steps to take. Yeah. We take up space no matter how long we own the space mm -hmm. to say in this moment, which is the only moment that we truly ever possess, yeah. is the moment that I choose joy. It's not an ignorance. It's not saying that I can't see highways coming to run through, but it is to say in this very moment, I choose to anchor in the things that I can make permanent, the memories that I can make, the stories that I can share, not only and hold within my belly, but share with my children, my grandchildren, my great, great grandchildren, and will be told well after I am no longer in the space. And so, Gabrielle, as you are hosting, hosting garden parties in the front yard, you are also modeling for other people what to do in the face of horror, in the face of opposition and oppression, that we anchor in joy. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. Anchor in joy. I need to get that as a tattoo. Yeah. But how do we okay. do that? I mean, <laughs> All right, we'll talk. Maybe if I drink a couple more of those, <laughs> yes. I'll have the courage to actually do that. But now how do we anchor in joy just on a practical mm. level? Because I can't just go out and plant trees all over the place. Or yeah. maybe well, I you can. can. You can. <laughs> all right, we'll talk about that later. But I want to know from both of you, do you have any just simple practices that we could all incorporate mm. to kind of remain strong in that joy and, and to remain calm when there's, you know, trucks outside trying to build a highway through your property? Mm. Mm. 
I think for me, it's been exactly like what I came here to do is, is spend time with the people that have been out here. Right. Yeah. And so my elders are a very important part of our community because they are the anchors. Right. They have been here. They've seen way worse. You know, they've seen some things we can never imagine, and they also still kept their joy. And they still kept the ability to be with us and share with us and love on us and raise us. You know, my community really raised me. Um, and I think of people like Miss Anna Clyde, who's 91, who's still in our in our neighborhood. You know, I can walk through the woods to her house and I'll go and just chill in the yard with her from time to time. Before the pandemic, I'd go over there and I'd watch stories, her stories with her, honey. Days of our lives. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it really like that's in those moments, I find peace and I find joy and I find anchoring because there's so much there. There's this um, transmission of yes. energy yes. and um, knowledge mm -hmm. and even technology, right? Like I learned about my history and gained so much information around my identity from sitting in kitchens mm. and being with my great uncle Andrew on the porch shelling peas. Yes shucking corn you know in the garden that's where I learned my history and so all of that feels like a way to like grab some joy and and you know if you don't have elders in your life or you don't there is a community center here where I just met <laughs> some of the most incredible people and they really lit me up um, the joy that they have around the garden that they're planting so I think there's opportunities to just be with people. I'm so glad you brought up the community center because Dr. Butler, I'm sure you have a whole bag of tricks for us. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could give us a few of just, you know, some centering practices that we could do in five minutes, 10 minutes. But then mm -hmm. also we have resources here in our community. We are the resource. Mm -hmm. Every, mm -hmm. So look to your left and to your right. Come on, pastor. Right? <laughs> the person next to you has great resource has experiences, has struggles and strategies that have been developed out of places of pain, pleasure, and pause. They've developed those things, and if you sit with them long enough and are open to it, they will share. In our bellies, we desire to give. And for some of us, it takes a little minute for us to feel safe enough, but the people next to you are the greatest, the greatest resource that we'll ever have. The being inside of you, you know, that being that sometimes has been silenced, has been told not to listen to itself. Um, that's an important being too. being able to get quiet in your mind mm -hmm. and ask yourself, what is it that I need today? What is it that I long for today? What is it that I yearn for? Mm -hmm. And being open to the gift of our feelings, as Ms. Moiselle shared during a homegoing celebration, she said our feelings are a gift. They, are, they give us information. And so the first resource is the people who are next to you, whether you know them or not, spending and slowing down enough to get to know the people 
and the stories and the strategies that are next to you. The second is the greatest resource is the gift that lives inside of you because your body is consistently telling you what it needs, what it desires, what it longs for. And then vertically, the universe, the spirit, for me, my God, right? That tells me what is it that I need. And so I anchor in ritual, things that I do every single day, no matter how difficult the day is. And you only need one. You only need one consistent ritual. And the third thing I'll add after spirit is just the gift of being present. And so if you want to write down any, anything at all, I say rest is our birthright and joy is our assignment. And we are all worthy of play, pleasure, and pause. Mm-hmm. And so those are our tips, right? If you're not, if you, you're feeling a little anxious, you can ask yourself, have, have I had enough play, pleasure, and pause? And if not, let's, let's go ahead and go back and make sure I'm interjecting that. Because we were not built to work five days a week and only have one and a half day off. That's yeah. not the way that we were meant to, have, to live. That is not our life. That is not our story. That is not our legacy. Those are the strategies I have for us. Yeah. Oh, you just took us to church. Yeah, That was church. I love the idea of some of these rituals. Yes. And for those of us who may need one, I think the pot liquor tea oh. might be the thing. <laughs> yes. So yes. in a few moments, we will be having a pot liquor tea tasting. Gabrielle, can you explain what pot liquor is <laughs> and why it's so important to sort of appreciate this ritual? Mm. Yes, I can. So um, how many of you know what pot liquor is? Yes. I mean, these lights are blinding, but I still saw (laughs) some hands. Um, So I grew up drinking pot liquor, right? My grandfather, who was 85, faithfully, every time. Come on. A little bit. Every time he makes a pot of collards, he drains off that pot liquor. He jars it up in mason jars, and he puts it in the refrigerator. And so your pot liquor is basically your broth from your collards, from your mustards, from your turnip salad, whatever greens you're cooking. And it was used as an ancient remedy to heal our bodies. And so I love it because it was something that my grandfather grew up drinking when he was a little boy, right? And that information was passed by mug. And now, you know, the acknowledgement that if you're feeling a little, like something ain't right, you just need a little immune boost. You know, collards are full of nutrients. And so when I hear all this information now about Oh, get your bone broth. (laughs) You gotta have your bone broth. We've been drinking bone broth. (laughs) Because guess what's in that pot of collards? Mm -hmm, There's, yes, there's some seasoning meat. Mm. And so traditionally we use salted pork. Where I'm from, they are very snobby about do not put smoked anything in my collards. Okay, they want it salted salt cured and so that's what I grew up drinking and eating was that pot of greens that was seasoned with that salt pork um and we would drink the broth off of it and that's something that you know we didn't do often I didn't see it but I grew up in the house with my grandparents so I got a chance to see all of that stuff up close for a while um 
And so, yeah, it's full of nutrients. It's meant to heal your body. And as an acknowledgement of that ancient technology, I like to play with things, right, and and create them and, and give them a little contemporary bedazzlement. <laughs> Pizzazz. Yes. And so this felt like a great opportunity for the last few years. Well, I say few years. Childish pandemic got me so messed up. Um, but at my dinners, I usually do a pot liquor tea. I'll do a pot liquor sweet tea where I'll cook down my collards and strain off the juice. Um, usually I dehydrate or sun dry my collard leaves so I can store them on the shelf like green tea and pull them out when I need them. I'll toast clove. I'll toast peppercorn. I'll get fresh ginger and grate it in. Sometime turmeric. Yes. Toasted peppercorn. I mean, that, to me, it's a remedy, uh, you know, amplified by these other things. And so um, tonight I wanted to bring some of that here and share it with you. You know, I didn't get to cook a big meal, but I did want to bring a little little pot liquor. And so I have a hibiscus. Oh, are you bringing us little samples? Oh, my goodness. Now, which one is this? We thank you uh, from Asala. Everybody give it up for Asala. Thank you. Applause. It is warm. I could see myself incorporating this as a ritual. Yes. Saying my affirmations in the morning. Yes. And just treating myself. Well, cheers, ladies. cheers. Thank you for being here with me. Oh, this doesn't feel right. Y'all get you some. You guys are going to get some. (laughs) (laughs) Look under your chair. No, don't look under your chair. (laughs) You are going to get some. Did I read online that you put peanut butter in your greens? I do. Mm. Let's let's just take a little aside and talk about that. Okay. Why do you do that? So, to be clear, I use ground peanuts. Okay. And we call them ground nuts. Right. Okay. Um, And I started doing that. So, we have some West African traditions, Mm. some Ghanaian peanut soups and stews, right, that this originated in in West Africa. But um, my grandfather grew up eating stews that were thickened with peanuts that they grew you know and he has stories for days about the way that they preserve they picked and they preserved the food in the garden and so peanuts were one of those things right it was an important crop and he just talks about like the process of drying them out right curing them and then roasting them and the smell of roasted peanuts Mm. and so I I think I think of that every time I make this stew it feels nostalgic even though I wasn't there with him when he smelled those roasting peanuts Mm -hmm. Um, but it's something about the warmth and the thickness that it adds and I'll add a little coconut milk and I'll braise it down with um, a base of tomatoes if I'm putting chicken or lamb it just depends Depends on what meat mm-hmm. I'm putting in it, but I always use a little bit of sage, mm. some fresh in the summertime. We don't have tomatoes right now in North Carolina, so I'm very much jealous. <laughs> Take some back with you. I don't yes. know if you're ready. <laughs> I love that. But yeah. Okay. But Gabrielle, I wanted to ask you because she's so humble, but this lady is is an Instagram star. She's yes. been in the Washington Post. We saw her on the beautiful series High on the Hog. And I'm wondering, like, you're so beloved now, right? And having spent just a little bit of time with you, I completely can see why. But was it always this way? Did you ever get any pushback? And why do you think now is sort of the moment for this type of preservation work? Hmm. I think uh, things are aligning just as they needed to. 
I think, um, you know, I feel like I've lived a few lives, right? I was away from North Carolina for almost 10 years, and very much things went my way for the most part, right? We all have our moments, but things were aligning in New York in a way that left people like, wait, why are you moving back to North Carolina? Mm -hmm. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. I was working with Michelin-starred chefs and James Beard, you know, like I was was doing the thing that we're told we need to do to find Mm -hmm. success. And I disrupted that. Mm. But it was when I disrupted that that I started to actually, like, find myself in my work, find meaning and value in my work. And that's when stuff really started to align, right? So, like, that's when the Washington Post and the New York Mm -hmm. Times and the things started to really happen because I was where I needed to be. And I was creating space for the people who I felt had stories to tell that were even more important than the story that I have to tell. Oh, that's so encouraging. Mm-hmm. I think she just named it. I, um, like Ashe, right? Yeah. Um, Ashe, yes. As <laughs> I think we are watching our people <laughs> with the great resignation, they're saying, no, no. <laughs> we're tired, so we're, we will rest. Yeah. Um, this environment isn't conducive to my growth and my well-being so I will gracefully exit I will build in a way that helps my wealth and my inheritance and allow me to be sustainable long term I love what we're watching and I hope that we are all in the space where we can say we we will have to make room because people are no longer willing to be worn out anymore. And so for our own best interests and our collective best interests, I, I love what you're doing and you're modeling for all of us. It's not always easy. I love that we understand that you we won't always be accepted into every environment, but where we're supposed to be, our gifts will be used and room will be made for us. Um, And if we're in the wrong container, it's best to get in a bigger one so that we can grow um, where we're supposed to be. And that, and that is how we will live well. And we'll be able to find safety and not, not just physical safety, but emotional and spiritual safety, um, which is so important for seed passing and germination. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end. Gabrielle E.W. Carter and Dr. LaDonna Butler, thank you both so much for this conversation. Huge hugs to Gabrielle E.W. Carter and Dr. LaDonna Butler for joining me on stage at the Collards After Dark event in February. I'm Delia Colon. I produce The Zest with Andrew Lucas. This week, we had help from Chandler Balcom and Hannah Abdel-Majid. Special thanks to Tampa Bay Collard Green Festival co-founders Boyzell Hosey and Samantha Harris for making this panel happen, and to Bruno Brothers Media Company for the recording. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media, copyright 2022.